Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel, again, as always, and uh, welcome everyone to this edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. For those of you who don't know, that wonderful voice that intros our time every week is none other than our own, Rachel Joseph, who works at Benefits Resources, Inc. That's the uh, the benefits department here in the office of the General Assembly serving our pastors and their families and many of our staff in terms of their health care benefits and retirement. And Rachel is a huge asset to the BRI and to the EPC, and uh, she was kind enough to help us with our introductions here for this podcast and does a great job. So thank you, Rachel, and thank you everyone else for taking the time, uh, not just in listening in. We appreciate the fact that there are other ways that you could choose to spend your time during the day. There are a lot of podcasts out there with great content, and yet uh, you're squeezing us into that uh, in your schedule, and we realize that that's um, a decision that we don't uh, take lightly. We appreciate it deeply. And also for those of you who are sharing this, uh, when you open up the podcast and whatever a venue you're listening, whether it's a Podbean or Spotify or the Apple Podcasts, or maybe you're just downloading it right off of our website. Whatever the means are, uh, there's usually a means for you to share that on your social. So if you could just hit share, get the word out there to your friends that the best kind of publicity for something like this is word of mouth. Now, if you don't find it valuable, then don't do that. But I think hopefully we're doing something that you'll find valuable. Uh, we're going to give you a little update someday here in the near future about how we're doing in terms of our, our downloads, but we're starting to see some real traction around that. And, and that's just because of you, because you're paying attention and you're sharing that word with others. And so for that, we deeply appreciate it. Part of our hope during this time is to do some education, particularly for those inside the EPC. It can be helpful for those who are considering the EPC. But even if you're not, learning more about how the body of Christ operates in our little corner of the kingdom uh, hopefully is a blessing to you because while we started out with a real focus on our staff and how they serve our presbyteries and our congregations, uh, whether it is in human resources or communications or benefits or missions, we've been moving more recently into um, interviews with EPC authors but every now and then I like to drop in, you know, kind of a, hey, here's something about the EPC you probably didn't know. Something that for most people, it wouldn't be on their radar screen at all. And yet it is integral to the actual workings of the EPC. So, for example, a number of episodes ago, we interviewed Zach Hopkins, the chair of our theology committee. And most people go about their daily lives without ever even realizing there is a theology committee in the EPC or what they do. You know, what's the importance of, of being a confessional church and what is the value of the Westminster Confession in light of our, our common covenanted fellowship together? So this is another one of those conversations today. I'm delighted to have in the studio here at the EPC Global Headquarters, uh, Fred Leand. Fred is a, a longtime teaching elder. If we were a video podcast uh, and you were to look at him, you would never think he's as old as he actually is. When he tells me his actual age, I, I'm still sort of stunned because he looks younger than me, uh, but he's he is a little older than me, but he can run much further than I can, even if I was being chased by something because he will 
we'll talk about his his running uh, maybe a little bit later on. But Fred has been around from really the beginning uh, of the EPC, and the reason why we're bringing him into the studio today is that he chairs what's called the Ministerial Vocations Committee, or we call it for short, the MVC. And you know how every organization has acronyms, and people outside the organization have no idea what they're talking about because they talk in acronyms. The MVC is the Ministerial Vocations Committee, which is a, a, a permanent committee of the General Assembly helping to do the General Assembly's business between the times when it's in session. And what that committee actually does that serves the church is what Fred and I are going to be talking about today. So Fred, welcome to In All Things. Thank you, Dean, very much. And I'm glad this isn't a video podcast because I have a face made for radio. So <laughs> this works best you for know, me. You know, my mama told me the same yeah. thing. Okay. That's exactly right. So let's first get to know you a little bit or help our listeners to uh-huh. get to know you, Fred. Tell us about uh, your wife, your family, where you grew up, your journey in the ministry, and what leads you to, to this place today. I'm a renegade New Yorker, uh, not from the city area, but from upstate New York. And uh, Which in New York State, everything outside of New York City is upstate. upstate. That's right. right. And was raised in, in the church. Uh, my, my dad was a devout Roman Catholic, and my mom was a devout Episcopalian. And because of some really difficult uh, challenges that my dad experienced with the Roman Catholic Church, he decided that his kids would never go to the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. So we never, I never had worship with my dad in all the years uh, that I was at home. And um, I was a baptized, uh, confirmed in the Episcopalian Church. And during that time, I had two very significant experiences. Uh, one was when I was confirmed, it was by the Bishop of New York who came to our, our local church and laid hands on, there. I think there were six of us who were being confirmed. Wow. And he he uh, went and uh, found my parents after the, the confirmation ceremony and told them, your son's going to be in the ministry someday. Wow. He had some sort of sense of, it, of, of anointing. Right. Uh, they never told me this. Huh. So... When I was in a senior in high school, just getting ready to go off to college, I was at a Christian Episcopalian summer camp, and uh, uh, a lady by the name of uh, Gert Bahana, uh, the late, who had written a book by the, called The Late Liz. She had been a prostitute, an alcoholic, and her life was transformed radically by Christ. She was interviewing each camper throughout the week, and I was the last person on the last day and I remember walking into this room where she was, and she was sitting behind a desk, something like this. And I walk in, and first words out of her mouth was, God has told me you're going to be in the ministry someday. Wow. And I was getting ready to go off to college, and I didn't put any thought into it. And when I got, finally got to college, I went to church the first Sunday, and it was a terrible experience and didn't go back to church for all my college years. And then after I graduated from uh, college, I began working for the college I graduated from in, in administration. And during that time, I was having a crisis in my life regarding death. I, I couldn't say the word. Uh, I was having nightmares. I was losing four nights of sleep because I'd wake up in a cold sweat having uh, this dream about death. Wow. And... Um, Somebody was trying to get your attention. Exactly. So I tried everything. I tried self-help, I Ching, Buddhism, counseling, nothing worked. And I met this gal who told me about Christ and that she was, it was uh, evangelistic dating. One evening I had 
come home from um, a business trip in Washington, D.C., and I was I had driven down and back to upstate New York, and I was just dead tired. So got in my bed, put my head down my pillow, and the word death flashed. Uh, and at that point, I couldn't even say the word. That's how imprisoned I was. So I got out of my bed, got on my knees, and said, Jesus, I, I need you. I don't remember the exact words. Yes. And from that moment on, I've never lost an iota of sleep due to the fear of death. Wow. Now, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, we have to talk about this more another day, but, you know, the statistics are overwhelming, right? One out of every one people will die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so the mortality, I, I've always felt that funerals for me as a pastor were one of the most precious memorial service, one of the most precious times because people, the veil is thin, they're staring mortality right in the face, and that's a moment where the gospel becomes not theoretical, it becomes like very, very real to people. And that was how you actually came to faith. That person who told me about Jesus that I was dating eventually became my wife. Good move on your part. So it was, it was God-ordained, and, and our relationship was founded on spirituality, Yeah, uh, on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, after you got married, did you go right into the ministry, or what happened then? During that time, after I became a believer— I had a couple of pastors at a conservative Baptist church that my wife was attending, that I began attending, and they were mediating God's will for my life, and they were graduates of Denver Seminary as well, so they, they recommended that I go there. And this was in, in May of 1975, and they wanted me to be there in September. So fortunately, the pastor was on the board of Denver Seminary, got me in. I, I entered into the master's program of marriage and family therapy, graduated, became a, a therapist, learned more than I knew was out there because it was all a brand new experience. There was all this Christian lingo at Denver Seminary that I had never heard in my life. Uh, I was so far behind. So graduated, uh, was, was called to direct a Christian counseling center at Faith Presbyterian Church in Aurora. Oh, well, we're going to come back to that yeah, in a second. Okay. Yeah. And that was one of the original churches that create, yeah. crafted the of EPC. The original 12 churches in the EPC, right. Faith is one of them. And actually, most of the EPC churches in Denver, which is one of our meccas, mm-hmm. uh, all have their connection at some point to right. Faith. Right. So I was there for six years, and during that time, Jim Dixon, who was the founding pastor of Cherry Hills Community Church, and Bud Sparling came to me and said, Fred, we, we see God has more in store for you than, than just being a, a counselor. So I went back to Denver Seminary, got my MDiv, and then I was called to Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church as their pastor in November of 1985 and was there for 35 years. We changed our name from Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church to Grace Point Community Church in 2001. So you did that in 1985. The EPC actually starts in 81. So you were really there from the beginning. Right. So, well, we'd love to get your perspective because I've realized in talking with uh, particularly newer pastors to the denomination, people who have come in either from other denominations or just themselves, ordinands coming in and 
maybe unfamiliar with our history. Could you just give us a quick sense of, since you were there, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like we need to be interviewing people who were there when it happened, yeah. right? And you were in the room where it happened. Right. At the beginning, we were so small. The, the fellowship was really, really rich because we came out of a denomination that was against us, essentially, because we were conservative, we were evangelical. And so we had a common bond that we were able to link arms and hearts and minds and move forward together. So the, the fellowship was truly rich. The Book of Order was maybe 50 pages, and that was half pages. Oh, I long for the yeah, day. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that, was, uh, that was a blessing as well. And, and then being able, to, being able to know everyone. Uh, that that was in that founding group was was truly a blessing. I know I'm a, a member of the Presbytery of the Alleghenies, and we founded that, and I think it was maybe 2014 or something like that. And you know, we started with 12 churches, and I knew everybody. And I was at our last Presbytery meeting, which was really well attended. You know, good thing. I looked around the room, I was like, gosh, I there's more people here I don't know than there are people here I do know. And that's kind of a, you know, it's the uh, one part of growth that. It comes with that, but at the same time, there is this sense of, wow, I do miss um, the fellowship that is that intimate. And um, and yet, wouldn't you say that's part of our DNA? Mm-hmm. Like, even though we've grown in, in yep. all these other churches, and one of the things I love about the EPC is is the hospitality that has welcomed people much like our founders right. into that same kind of fellowship. That's in our DNA, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely, and, and that's what I experience at General Assembly meeting new people as well as uh, rekindling relationships that, uh, that I, I'd known for, for 20, 30, 35 years. Yeah. And one of the key components of, of, of the EPC is, is that we have worked really hard to, to be relationally driven as well as theologically pure. Yeah, amen. amen. The, the essentials also at that time were really what fueled our, our gathering. Uh, that was that was really key. So when when we read in the Book of Order what what the essentials of the faith are, that those initial years everything was centered around that. When mm. churches would would ask to come into the EPC, that is what was what was presented. Was the now you got my brain moving, thinking about what happens when you really focus on the essentials and you don't focus on the non-essentials. Great thing for the stated clerk to ponder. So right. thanks for it. Well, let's turn the corner here a little bit and talk about the Ministerial Vocations yes. Committee because you've been, uh, this is your second tour of duty, if you will, and you're serving as our chair. And uh, that's why you're here in the office. We have those meetings going on this week. But tell us a little bit about what the MVC does so the average person listening in has some sense of the, the work that the Lord has placed in your hands to do. The, the first thing I'm going to say is it's the, the official title is Ministerial Vocation committee, not with an S on, on vocation. Okay. So a lot of people do put that S. It just sounds natural, but it doesn't have an S on it. So the, the MVC is, uh, is really designed to, to look at the, the issues that are affecting uh, pastors, particularly, say, ordinance, who are looking forward to that process of uh, going through seminary and being called by a church and being prepared to take the exams, and so what we do is we, we craft the exams, we grade the exams, we communicate with uh, the ministerial committees of each presbytery, we communicate with the care of candidates 
chairs of, of each presbytery to identify any issues that, that they're experiencing with candidates coming through the process. And then we try to enable the process to be as productive as possible, where we want to see our candidates and our pastors succeed. We're, we're not here to, to, to fail people on exams. We, we are here to uh, help them move through this process and the most God-centered, Christ-centered, and uh, effective pastor that they can possibly be. So in the flow of the way the EPC works, this is a permanent committee of the General Assembly. And so you, your team helps to take what the General Assembly has decided and serve the presbyteries, and that's the ministerial committees largely, Correct. on how to do caring for these, largely these two groups, which I would note as plural, the pastors and the ordinance. Uh-huh. But at any rate, the, the, the pastors and the ordinance. What, where do you see right now, as you're hearing back from the ministerial committee chairs and as you're considering how we can best serve the presbyteries that way, what are the, the presenting issues? Let's start with the ordinance first. What are the presenting issues that you're seeing with the ordinance? I know you're also one of those people who grades ordination exams. So what do you see that that we ought to be paying attention to or praying for or interested in right now about ordinance? What I'm hearing is the preparation for the exams may may not be as, as effective coming out of the presbyteries to prepare them for the exams. So there, there may be something missing regarding encouraging the ordinance to really know the the Westminster Confession of Faith, which probably up until two or three years ago when we began redeveloping the theology exams was a book that we addressed, but we we didn't ask questions about it on the exams. Mm. And so it was a forgotten book Right. for the ordination process. An important thing to, to go back, and I, I think if, if Zach was listening to our podcast, you know, he would he would affirm the fact it's important for us as a confessional church to go back and remember the, the foundation. What is our one and only subordinate standard? Of course, Scripture is the standard, but under that standard, that confession and in its catechisms are for us what is really foundational. And to not know that is is to not know who we are. Right. So redoubling down on helping our ordinance prepare for that. So that's a good start there. What about with um, pastors? What are, you, what are you seeing and hearing and how we can best care for our pastors, especially in this unusual season that we're right. coming in? So coming out let, of let me go back to the ordinance for just a moment because sure. I think one other change that we made that's really key is in the polity exam, rather than it being a knowledge exam, uh, and it is open book right now, we have a whole series of practical questions, essays. So we, we give them life situations that pastors will, mm. will face, um, not only with their session, but with their congregation members. And we ask them, okay, how will you approach these situations? How will you respond mm. to these situations according to the Book of Order? But also there's a, an aspect of it that says, we want to see how your personality is, is going to interact with the situations yeah. that, that we've presented. You're getting you a glimpse of their leadership style, right. of their pastoral skills, and how that integrates with polity. Because right. polity is never done in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Thanks yeah. for going there. How about pastors? And with pastors now, the, the issue is the health of our pastors, uh, the health of the pastorate. Right. Uh, we, we are seeing across the denomination and, and across 
all denominations that this is an extremely stressful time. So this week we've, we've had a number of ministries that have, have been speaking to us at our, at our spring meeting, and they've all have focused on the fact that there are unique stresses that our pastors are, are being affected by, even just taking out the, the pandemic, uh, just the cultural issues that, that are changes that are occurring that our, our pastors may not be as equipped as we, we need them to be. Could you just list a couple of those real quickly? And then what we can do is uh, Brian will attach links to those in when we put this out. So if anybody's listening and okay. says, well, I'm, I'm glad the committee heard from them, but right. who are they and how do I get a hold of them? Right. So sexual issues, ethics, the racial reconciliation issues, maintaining health with both your family and your pastorate. Okay. So we've had a couple of organizations that have come in. Can you name just maybe two or three that we could put a link on that would be helpful for right. folks? So Pastor Serve That's is, a big one. is one. Uh, Pastors in Residence with Roy Yankee is is a, a second one. And that's a that's an in, kind of an EPC uh, ministry. It's, uh, both both of them are commended EPC ministries. Okay. And Memphis Seminary. Memphis Seminary. We're here right? because we're also part of Ministry of Vocations. Is thinking about vocation. Sorry, is thinking about pipeline issues and how we're helping prepare people for ministry. Right. So, and and seminaries, of course, are gosh, they're rethinking things drastically, and we're trying to collaborate with them. On yeah, that. and of course, the Go Center with David Zook. There you go. Right. Okay. Super. All right. Well, the one thing I want to close on here, mm-hmm. if we could, uh, Fred, is that when we talk about the wellness of our pastors, you have this long-standing practice. You're you're a runner. And that is part of your own behavioral, emotional, spiritual, physical health. Can you just speak a little bit about the role that that, that has played in your life and any words of encouragement you would give to pastors in terms of just caring for themselves? I, I taught a class, um, a doctoral class at Denver Seminary this summer and this past summer. And I told them right at the very beginning that if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't be effective in taking care of other people. Mm. So my, my running is, is my self-care. I, I stole a line from the movie Chariots of Fire. I feel God's pleasure when I run. Mm. And this just helps me to, to leak out all the, the, the junk that, that gets built up emotionally that I may not be aware of. And uh, I try to eat as healthy as possible. So exercise, eating well. I have great friendships. I think that's, that's probably the really critical for pastors is I make sure that I have people in my life that they, ha- that they have the permission to say the hard stuff to me that I may not see in myself or may not want to hear, but they know that they can, they can invest that in me. Well, that's great counsel, Fred. Thank you so much. And uh, if I wish we could see you on video because everyone else would see what I see. You're just an incredibly healthy person, physically, emotionally, spiritually, one of our great leaders and the way you sacrificially give of your time and talents to serve the EPC and our pastors and ordinance is a true gift. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here. Thank you, Dean. God bless. Well, my friends, that wraps up another uh, edition of In All Things. We're so grateful for you to be here today. Again, please share this on your social with others, especially those inside the EPC. If you're an EPC elder, would you share this with the other elders on your session or deacons or staff at your church and let them know? Chances are the people around you don't know, and if you could share it with them, that would be a blessing. So we're going to conclude our time, as we always do, with the good word from God's word.
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. To the glory and praise of our precious Savior, Jesus, grace and peace to you, my friends, until the next time. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.